Um, so a couple weeks back, I started a uh, little mini-series going through uh, the, um, uh, the high priestly prayer of Jesus, um, what some have been uh, called the, the holy ground of the gospel events, right? That sacred moment that we are invited to come and have a front row seat in. Uh, it's amazing because here we have Jesus and he is, he is, um, he is at the end of his ministry. It's right before uh, Passion Week and, and we get to hear the heart of our shepherd um, communing with his father and then also um, appealing to the father on behalf of his disciples and then those who would come after his disciples, namely uh, you and I. I want to encourage you, if, if your imagination would allow you to go there, just imagine yourself being invited to that, that front row scene where Jesus is speaking with his father. And we have this privilege of, of listening in to these words from the master. I'm gonna begin uh, in chapter 17 in verse one. If you have your Bibles, I wanna encourage you to turn there. I'm just gonna do a little review. It's been a couple of weeks since we've been here. And so um, look with me at verse one as Jesus Again, we're on the scene, right? You can smell the dust of the road. You can hear, you can smell the garden, right? And, 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 and we're here at the intensity of the moment and the disciples are, are listening in. He's praying. There's nothing so intimate than being able to listen to somebody's heart praying to Father. And this is what we have opportunity to listen in on. When Jesus has spoken these words, he lifted his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The only place that Jesus refers himself as Jesus the Christ. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you, excuse me, before the world existed. What an incredible opening, right? I mean, this is so rich in what we'd call Christology, the study of Christ. We see some enormous uh, declarations that we can, we can pull from in just listening to these words from Jesus. He, he declares that he has authority over all flesh. Something that is very significant, I'm sure. Hopefully the disciples pulled from that statement as it appeared that he had succumbed to the, to, the, to the abuse and the beating and the torture of those who brought Christ to the cross. I hope that the disciples remembering that moment when they saw their Lord enduring such torment, that they were reminded of those words that he has authority over all flesh. Jesus said, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down of myself. I've got the power to lay it down and I've got the power to take it up again. 
And so Jesus, again, in this prayer, declaring he is authority over all flesh. He declares that those whom he, were, who, those whom he would redeem were a gift from the Father to the Son. That those in whom are his were given to him by the Father. John will, that John will talk about that more specifically. He'll record that in John chapter six. We'll, we'll see Jesus lay that out even uh, clearer there. We see in, this, in, this, in these opening words of Jesus that, that eternal life is not so much a location, but a relationship with God. This is eternal life, Jesus said, that they might know you, the one true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I love the fact that we see the, the preexistence of Jesus right in this, in this passage of scripture. Jesus is declaring his eternality with the Father, that he existed before the world even began. Glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. The power and authority and position of the Son. And we see from this that it's upon Christ's deity and him accomplishing all of the work that the Father had given him to do. It's what gives us great confidence in his ability to keep us. When we consider that Christ came on a mission, he came with a purpose, and he accomplished everything he set out to do. It gives me great confidence in knowing that he who began a good work in me will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. If he accomplished that task, certainly he can accomplish this task as well. We have the luxury of hindsight looking and listening in on this prayer and recognizing that everything Jesus said and prayed for comes to pass. And if he did it then, he'll do it now. I pray you find, take great confidence in his ability to keep you, that nothing will snatch you out of his hands. Now today we're gonna to pick up, he moves now from that opening statement to now he begins to pray for his disciples, those who walked with him, those who were literally listening in on this conversation between Jesus and his father. He said, Father, I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they believe that you have sent me. Mission accomplished. 
as we have opportunity to listen in on this prayer, let's, let's remember that, that Jesus, Jesus is not informing the Father about what's been done. It's not like this is an informational meeting. Like, all right, you know, Father, I just want to bring you up to speed on what's been going on. Here's how they're doing. Here's what I've accomplished. No, the Father was fully aware of everything that had been going on. He's acknowledging that which is already known between him and his Father. And he's acknowledging this in the presence of his disciples so they can hear it. So they can, so they can capture it so they can comfort themselves with it, so that they can <clears throat> record it, so that they can share it with you and I. Even in this most intimate dialogue between God the Father and God the Son, Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. The focus of this section that we are about to engage in is on those who walked with Jesus specifically. Those who left all to follow him, the disciples that were closest to Jesus. Listen to how Jesus characterizes the nature of their relationship. I love this. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. So profound. You gave them to me out of the world. Yours they were. And you gave them to me. And they've kept your word. Could you imagine what was going on in the minds of the disciples when they recognized and they're hearing these words as Jesus de declares that they are a gift to the Son from the Father. The Apostle Paul will, will echo these same words in Ephesians, his letter to the, the church at Ephesus and his opening to them in chapter one, where he declares, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even, listen, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Try to wrap your arms around that. He has chose us in him when? Before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. What a profound concept for us to even begin to try and wrap our arms around. I know that for many, this, this concept of, of God's choosing us is, is really hard to kind of embrace and, and wrap our arms around. But let's just take a moment here. See, there's a lot of details to all this that, that I'll be honest with you, on this side of eternity, it's really hard to understand it. I mean, like how and why and, and who and, and all the details. Sadly, I think the church has gotten so distracted over the details and have divided so much over the details that they have failed to recognize the end result is the fact that God chose us in him. 
right? What a great, wonderful reminder that in the end of the day, God has chosen us in him. How he did that, why he did that, honestly, doesn't matter one bit. We'll never fully understand it on this side of eternity. And it doesn't figure it's my, my car. <laughs> I see it, I see it. I'm wondering, yep. <laughs> so, if I say good morning, Laura. <laughs> But let's, let's, not, let's, let's, not, let's not get distracted from this very important point here. Okay, seriously, let's pull, bring it back in, right? Bring it back in. How and why and who we will never understand on this side of eternity. They are, they are, they are like two lines that will run parallel and they will only meet in eternity. And sadly, so many have lost the joy and the profoundness of this truth because they've allowed the details to distract them. In the end of the day, what matters most is that I am in him. He has chosen you. And you know what? That has got to be the most profound reality. That should be the very thing that kind of gives us the, 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 the ability to confidently step out in the course of our day. He's chosen you and me. One thing is clear. It's all throughout the scripture. He's chosen us. Let's just pause and celebrate that. Let's just not get, let's not get caught up in all the, the details that divide. It's so not what God would ever want us to do. But let's embrace the fact, because I know I wasn't chosen for anything or because of any reason for anything I bring to the table before the foundation of the world. He chose us in him. Look, he says, now, now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them your words that you gave me. And they have received them. And they have come to know in truth that I, that I came from you. And they have believed that you have sent me. Again, Jesus is not affirming or he's not informing his father. He's declaring that which is true. He's acknowledging the completion of a plan. He came on a mission, mission accomplished. He's taken everything the father gave him to share with the disciples and they have received it. And they have come to know that Jesus has come from the father. We see this played out beautifully in the life of Peter. We see it captured in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's like, so, so who do men say that I am? What are, what are they saying about me? And so we see, well, they say, well, some, some people say that you're John the Baptist. Others say that you're Jeremiah or Elijah or one of the prophets. It's interesting. One of the things that none of them said is that he's just an ordinary person. 
right? We, we, we recognize that he is not like any one of us, right? He's clearly from another world. Maybe it's John the Baptist that had come back from the dead. Maybe it's Elijah. Maybe it's Jeremiah. But certainly he's not like any ordinary bear that we have been around. They recognize he is different. And so then Jesus brings it home a little more personal. And he says, all right, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter steps up and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Peter, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven has revealed this to you. What great excitement it must have been have leaped in the heart of Jesus because he's declaring, Peter, you did not come to that decision by flesh and blood. It's not like somebody taught you or told you that, but my father in heaven has revealed this to you. And it is upon that statement, Peter, it is upon that truth. It is upon that declaration that Jesus is the son of God, that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus, in declaring in that prayer, I've given them that which you've given me to share. And they've come to know the truth. Look with me at verse nine. He said, I'm praying, I'm praying for them, his disciples, those who were there. He said, I'm not praying for the world. He's making a very clear distinction because that which Jesus is about to pray can't be prayed for the world because everything that Jesus prays comes to pass. And the things that he's about to pray for his disciples cannot be applied to the world. And so Jesus says here, I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All are mine all mine are yours and all yours are mine. I am glorified in them. I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. Okay, now we're entering into the, the substance of what Jesus is praying for his disciples. It's kind of like the opening portion has, 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 has kind of ended and now he's getting into the substance of what he specifically is praying for his disciples. This is a really huge moment for us to consider. Jesus has just established the fact that he has power over all things. He has just declared his position over all things. He's just declared that he has accomplished everything that he had set forth to do. And he even points out the effectiveness of his disciples who embraced that truth and then believed who he was. I mean, Jesus could have asked the Father anything for these disciples. Jesus would have never been denied his request. I mean, if you were listening to Jesus praying for you, 
And you know that everything that Jesus asks for is given to him. What would you have hoped that Jesus prayed? Jesus, pray that we have influence. Jesus, pray that we have riches. Jesus, pray that we have this or that. I don't know what would have been the thing that you, you, know, you would have wished that Jesus prayed for you. These are not the things that, that, that Jesus prayed. We can't miss the significance of what Jesus requests on their behalf. And notice the first thing that Jesus asks for. Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me that they may be one even as we are one. Do you see that? Keep them in your name was not the request. That was a means to a different end. Keep them in your name, that. That's the means. Keep them in your name, that they may be one, even as we are one. Of all the things that Jesus could have asked the Father for his disciples, the first thing that Jesus asks the Father for is that he would keep them so that they would be in unity with one another, that they would be one even as we are one. It underscores the power and the priority of unity within the body of Christ. Unbeknownst to the disciples, they had no idea what was about to, what they were about to be walking through as Passion Week rolled out before them. Jesus fully well knew what they would be enduring, and he doesn't pray that they would avoid hard times. Jesus' prayer for the ones that he loves so much on the earth was that they would be in unity with one another that they would be one even as we are one. These disciples are about to be exposed to some of the most horrific, challenging, and difficult times. And Jesus' prayer for them was that they would remain in unity. As we forward to Acts chapter 2, and we know that the disciples are in the upper room praying and awaiting the arrival of the Holy Spirit, Luke records the fact that they were in one accord. They were in unity, one with, one, one with another. There is such an important truth for the church to recognize the importance and value of unity. The enemy desires to divide. The enemy desires to cause conflict. The enemy desires to keep us from one another. And we see as the events rolled out for the disciples and they were scattered all over the place and things were happening, we recognize that eventually by the power of God's spirit, they came together. What an important lesson for us as the church. And we're gonna, we're gonna talk more about that when we, when we revisit this subject because Jesus will then pray the same thing for you and, and for me later on. But there's other things that Jesus prays for his disciples that we're gonna take a look at here. Look, 
He says here, uh, verse 12, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them. And not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, the scripture, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Clearly, obviously, he's referring to Judas Iscariot. We recognize the scripture talked about that happening centuries before that would actually take place. But look what Jesus says here. I love this. I guarded them. The shepherd watched over the sheep. I have guarded them and not one of them has been lost. But now I am coming to you that and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. But now I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in their lives. I love what, you see, Jesus fully knew what was around the corner for these disciples, right? I mean, obviously they had no idea what was around the corner for them, but Jesus fully knew what was around the corner for them. And again, Jesus didn't pray that they would avoid the difficult time. It wasn't like he was like, hey, can you spare them from hardship? No, what Jesus prays for is that they would have not their joy, but my joy. Hebrews talks about the fact that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. In other words, the joy of Jesus is not grounded or connected to anything that this world is temporarily going through or has to offer. The joy of Jesus is linked to the person of Jesus and what awaits the child of God. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. And here are the disciples, Jesus knowing what awaited him that week during this prayer, Jesus knowing what would come upon the disciples. Jesus prays that they'd not get caught up in the circumstances or the details, but that they would rise above it all and that the joy of Jesus would be theirs. I love the song we sang this morning. The joy of the Lord is our strength. In the darkness, I'll dance. In the shadows, I'll sing. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Listen, you might find yourself in dark times. You might find yourself in the midst of times that there's shadows all around you. We are not immune to any of those things. We are not immune to any hardships. But one thing we can do is we can rise above those things and get a hold of what really matters and allow the joy of Christ Christ to be our strength. Whatever you're going through, no matter how difficult it may be, look at me, you're going to get through it. He guarded them and he guards you. He will bring you through. Jude ends his Epistle now unto him who is able to keep us from stumbling and present us faultless with exceeding joy. You will get through your seasons of darkness or shadows. But listen, don't wait to get through it. Look beyond it. 
and recognize that God is at work in the midst of it. We have a lot of things to get distracted by in our culture right now. If the church is not careful, the church is going to miss a wonderful opportunity to rise above this temporary world that is not our home and bring the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. Will that happen? No, because I believe the church is going to rise up. I believe the church is going to be stirred up and Jesus is going to do what he needs to do in our hearts. Don't allow the distractions of life to rob you of the joy that is set before us. Look, he says, verse 14, I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they're not of this world, just as I am not of this world. And we have the luxury of hindsight. We knew that was exactly what happened. They took the words of Jesus, they brought them to the world, and while many came to Christ, certainly the world at large hated them. All but John were executed for their faith in Christ. They hated him. We see in this that their identity is linked directly to Jesus. They didn't hate them. They hated the Jesus that they were identified by. They hated the Jesus they were defined by. And listen, what's true for them, folks, is going to be true for us. The world doesn't love your Jesus. It's not personal. Don't take it personal. Stop fighting back. Remember Jesus taught us in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and utter all matters of evil against you falsely for my sake. He said, rejoice and be glad for great is your reward in heaven. He says here, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. <laughs> Imagine the disciples. What? Can you bring us with you? Can, can we avoid this? They're going to hate us like they hate you, right? Jesus doesn't pray that they avoid hard times. Being kept from evil, from the evil one, doesn't mean that you will not endure hard times. It means that you will not be destroyed because of them. He can attack, but he will not win. It's kind of like, remember when Jesus said to Peter, Peter, the enemy is desired to sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith wouldn't fail. And when you've been converted, strengthen your brethren. Like, like Jesus didn't say, you know, the enemy's desire to sift you like wheat, but I told him, not Peter, back off. That's my boy. No. Peter, he's desired 
And it's going to happen. But I'm going to use that sifting process to turn you from the one who will deny me three times to the one who will preach the Pentecost message and 3,000 will come to faith in Jesus Christ. We see a transformation in Peter by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so being kept from the evil one doesn't mean we don't, we don't, we, we don't have hard times. It means that God will use the hard times to develop us, to grow us, to conform the image of Christ in us. Martin Luther is the one who said, the devil is God's devil. And if he has to use the devil as a tool, as a chisel in our life to make us look more like Jesus, that's exactly what Jesus will do. But at no point is the enemy in control. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Set apart for truth. Defined by truth sanctify them in truth. In other words, let that which is true be that which defines them, which is ultimately what sets them apart from the rest of the world. And that's exactly, using hindsight, it's exactly what we saw happen. They saw them as Christians. Let that which is true be that which drives them. It's exactly what we saw happen. That which was true is what caused them to be even willing to lay down their lives for this truth that they received. Let that which is true guide them. As we saw happen as the spirit came and took the truths of Jesus and led them and guided them into all truth. Jesus is praying for the effectiveness of his disciples. And while they were probably thinking, hope it happens, we have the luxury of hindsight 2,000 plus years later and say, yeah, it happened. See, why is that so encouraging? Well, if he did it for them, if he can carry them through, if he can bring them through, well, then he that began a good work in you and me, he will complete it for us as well. He will complete the work that he began in our life. His history is perfect. His credibility is perfect. His track record is perfect. I love the close of this section. I consecrate myself. I set myself apart. I give all of myself so that they would be sanctified in truth. That's exactly what Jesus did. He gave of himself as he went to the cross. He took upon himself their guilt, their punishment, their shame. And he exchanged that 
for his very righteousness. And it's what set them apart in truth. What Jesus prayed for his disciples that day, history shows became a reality. It was true. That's why we're still holding tightly to those truths 2,000 years later. But the objects of his prayer did not end with just his disciples. Jesus' eyes will then move off of his disciples and he will look down the corridor of time and see you and me and he will begin to pray for the church. Those who would come to faith through the message that the disciples learned from Jesus, recorded from, uh, for us, and responded to in faith. And what Jesus will pray for the church is extraordinary. It is profound. And will and is coming to pass. We're going to take a look at that next time. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how you have miraculously preserved your word so that we have the opportunity to sit alongside Jesus and listen to what he said. We thank you, Father, that we are yours. We recognize we've done nothing to deserve it. And so we just live lives of gratefulness and love. Let your word continue to settle in our hearts. In Christ's name we pray, amen.